How are you all? Welcome to our first family chapel for the year. It is a, such a privilege to be starting another year, amen. Um, there's a new buzz in the air. Uh, new students have arrived and are beginning to get comfortable here. And uh, former students have come back and are excited to be back in classes. So be praying for them. Our theme for the year is, is, uh, comes from Matthew chapter 4. to fish for people and I will make you fishers of men. So let's stand as we worship this morning. Just asking God just to speak to us and minister to us. Dr. Graves is going to be bringing us the word this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalms 95. It says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people. Well, we're off to a good start in chapel the last two nights, and uh, JC is giving great leadership. Uh, I haven't seen this much energy in chapel on uh, the last two nights in a long time, and we appreciate the leadership of JC and, and uh, those that are helping us each night. Last night, Dr. Light preached a, a, a wonderful message. I told him uh, this morning, I said, with all that's been on you, how you put that sermon together was just amazing to me. And uh, thank you, Dr. Like. And uh, you know, it's, it's always, I know a lot of us don't see our students that come in uh, at night classes. But to look upon their faces and, and to know the decision they have made to be here and, and just, to, just to meet them and be a part of them is, is really a, an encouragement to me. And, and uh, I, would, I would invite you some time to just drop by and meet some of these students. They're, they're remarkable people. They're from, they're from everywhere. And uh, some are from nowhere. But uh, they're here with us, and we're thankful for them. Um, and I guess the uh, AA in General Studies is kicked off on Monday, and how many do we have in there? We have 12 in class in that new program, and they're meeting right now, and so uh, we're very thankful for the work, uh, both of our academic team and, and our enrollment management team to, to get that off the ground. So thank you, thank you. Well, I want to share with you this morning, and I'm not projecting anything, so you might want to turn to the Bible in the, in the seat there, or your electronic, your digital Bible, and maybe some of you brought the carry-along Bible. I don't know what you call them now. Most of us carry digital Bibles, and, and uh, so we'd invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1. We're going to read the first 20 verses of this passage. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think that's a key phrase. 
Mark is, Mark is really different than Matthew and Luke, and we'll see that. I mean, he jumps right in. The beginning of the gospel. And what does gospel mean? The good news. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to, went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. I'm not much of a scholar here but evidently that was a unique, unique way to dress for Mark to try to capture that to paint this picture of John the Baptist. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I think it's interesting here that Mark does not begin the story of Jesus with his miraculous birth. Rather, he begins with the dreams of the prophets long ago. That is to say, this story began long, long, long ago in the mind of God. Mark relates the message and ministry of John the Baptist to the vision of Isaiah as one preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. That Jesus, the sinless one, would submit to a baptism of repentance can seem at first problematic. But there is more going on here than at first meets our expectations. It is about leadership. The leadership Jesus will model for the next three years of his life. This was a decisive moment for Jesus. 
In fact, the gospel writers did not reveal much of Jesus' life and activities before this moment. They wrote of his miraculous birth, the escape to Egypt, his presentation in the temple, and his return to the temple when he was 12 years old. That's about it. I've always been intrigued. What, what happened between 12 and 30? What was going on? And why was that not important to record? But here we see Jesus breaking into the scene. He burst, if you will, onto the scene from Nazareth in Galilee. Now we know that the ministry of John the Baptist must have been a sign Jesus had waited on. Now, now was the time for him to embrace and begin his task. Certainly he must have discerned the Spirit. Certainly he must have sensed. Now is the time. It is time for me to act. It is time for me to come forth and embrace the mission that my Father in Heaven has given to me. Let me say this, as a leader, there come moments of decision which may be accepted or rejected. To accept them is to succeed. To reject them or to shirk them is to fail. In other words, a leader will recognize the moment of decision and must be decisive in their conclusion and resolute to carry it through. The, the drifting life can never be the happy life. Jesus knew when John emerged that the moment of decision had come. Nazareth was peaceful. It was familiar. It was home. But Jesus answered the call and the challenge of God. When we think of leadership, indecisiveness is the kiss of death for anyone who wants to lead. It quickly shows itself. When it does, the leader's career or future is literally over. If you look at your successful leaders, you'll see that they're prepared to make the tough calls. And at times, we have to make tough calls as leaders. You know, I spent my first 24 years in pastoral ministry. And the thing I like about pastoral ministry, there were never any problems. Everybody got along. Every Sunday was heaven on earth. And one of the things I learned, now I grew up in a pastor's home, and I'm thankful for, for my father pastor, who, had, who really shielded us from the reality of the church. As we grew older, the shield came down and we helped tear that down. I, I shouldn't say this. Are we taping this? I remember I was a teenager, 16 or so, and a um, bunch of us from the church went, went out riding around in the car one night and there was a girl sitting next to me and she kind of had my, her eye on me and I had my eye on her and so before the night was over, I gave her a kiss. 
the next Sunday morning, her mother cornered me in the, in the basement of the church. And, How dare you take advantage of my daughter? Why wasn't she taking advantage of me? I mean, I never knew that a kiss could cause such a problem. Had I known, it would never have been worth it. I'll never forget the, the, the afternoon. I'll never forget this as long as I live. This girl's mother and father made an appointment to come to our house to talk to my mother and father. They, my brother David and I, they ran. I don't know where my sisters and my younger brother were, but they ran David and I outside. And we were out playing basketball when they pulled in to the drive. And, uh, you yeah, know, we were, we were young. We, it, 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 we didn't care. But I'll never forget this as long as I live. My mother said to that family, said, well, you know, did he do anything inappropriate? No, just kiss my daughter. And my mother said, well, they are teenagers. <laughs> and, and, and they backed me up. And that family left the church. So I'm thankful that my mom and dad knew enough to not only lead the church but to lead their children and they made a tough call that day they could have brought me into the house and shamed me that's what that couple wanted that, that's, that's what they wanted they wanted me to come into the house and for my mother and father to shame me in front of them that's, that's exactly what they wanted and my dad made a tough call that day. And the tough call came down on the side of his family. I, dad might have said to me later on, I'd be careful who you kiss in the future. <laughs> I don't know, but that sounds like something my dad would have said. But this is what I know. As a pastor, you were, you were, you were daily faced with difficult decisions. Difficult decisions. Um, and you don't always act decisive. And I can tell you when you don't act decisive, it's never a good thing. Now, you have to exercise discernment. There are some times that you have to act and you have to act now. There are other times that you need to know the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit and God can and will intervene at times. And I believe it was so with, why didn't Jesus come out when he was 25? I mean certainly he was old enough at 25 to do the mission of God. He knew he was called. But why didn't he come out when he was 21? Certainly he'd been old enough to do it then. He might have lived a few more years. Why did Jesus decide right then? Because he knew that that was the moment God had ordained for him. And he made the decision and he made it decisively. 
It's true that Jesus did not need to repent of his sin. Would you agree with me there? He didn't need to repent of sin. But he recognized the movement of the people back to God and he was determined to identify with that movement. A leader will identify with the people they are called to lead. Knowing your people, equipping them, developing them, caring for them, and encouraging them are essential to successful leadership. Ever think about this? Leaders are nothing without people. I, 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 heard, I heard a pastor say one time, and I never agreed with him. I understood what he's saying. He said, pastoring would be a great job if you didn't have to have the people. I, I knew what he was saying. He was saying that dealing with people is, is at times very taxing. But leaders are nothing without people. Put it in another way, people will make or break you as a leader. You either treat them well, earn their trust, respect, and loyal to them, or you won't. You, 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 you're, you'll either see people as capital to be leveraged, or humans to be developed and fulfilled. And I have seen pastors that way. I have seen leaders that way. Great leaders serve their people. They learn from them and leave them better off for being led by you. You know, I cannot overemphasize really the importance of knowing the people you are leading. That includes our students, knowing them, sitting down asking them questions. That's how you get to know somebody. My second pastorate was in West Texas. I moved, maybe, maybe this doesn't mean much to you geographically, but Cheryl and I both had grown up in the southeast. In the southeast, it's a unique area of the world besides the way we talk and the way we do things. But it's, an, it's a unique area of the world. We have trees that grow naturally, and we have rivers with water in them. Okay? So, um, we were pastoring in Charlotte, North Carolina. You ever been to Charlotte, North Carolina? Beautiful rolling hills, trees, big rivers, I mean everything. And I got a call to Amarillo, Texas. Anybody been to Amarillo, Texas? Huh? Well, in those days when we got the call, they just brought me out there. Cheryl didn't go. I, I went. So I flew there. And when I got there, uh, I mean, you know, they have trees in Amarillo. You ever been to Amarillo? They have trees there. And uh, so I interviewed. And they gave me a call when I, I came back. And Cheryl said, well, what does it look like? Do they have trees there? I said, yeah, they got trees. I mean, the parsonage had trees in the backyard. He said, yeah, I got trees. She said, well, what's it like? I said, well, I mean, it's just kind of flat, but it, they got trees and stuff. And uh, so we accepted the call, and we got in our little uh, Dodge Omni. Anybody remember those, the Dodge Omnis? Um, we had two children, a baby, and Tim was about three and a half, and so the back seat was car seats. 
okay, the front seat. Well, we couldn't get all of our luggage in there, so we had to buy one of those, what do you call those storage things that put, you put on the, it was as big as the car. I kid you not, it took the whole roof to get our suitcases and stuff in there. So we, we're coming across, and the trip is going well, we come down through Tulsa, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the air conditioner went out on the car. And uh, now, uh, so, from, from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, from Oklahoma City, have you ever driven I-40 from Oklahoma City to Amarillo? It, it just changes dramatically. The, the, everything changes. It's 100 degrees. Our kids are stripped down to their diapers. We're, we got the windows rolled down. We can't get up enough speed to move the air because we had that thing on the top of that Dodge on there. So we get halfway between Amarillo and <laughs> we had more trees in our backyard in Charlotte than we saw from Oklahoma City to Amarillo. I kid you not. And, and so we're halfway between Oklahoma City and Amarillo, we are in the middle of nowhere. And Cheryl looks over at me, she's drenched in sweat, the kids in the back seat, tongues hanging out. <laughs> she looks at me and she says, where are those trees? <laughs> so moving to West Texas was kind of a cultural shock for us. And I'm young. I mean, I'm, I'm really young. I, I still don't know why they called me. I was so young. I, you know, it was a first church and good-sized church, and, and I still can't figure out why they called me at that age, but they did. And uh, so I was full of ambition and really go-for-it type of thing, and this was a first church. Does that mean anything to you folks? First churches have been around a long time. That's why they call them first church. And, and when a church has been around a long time, it, it, it tends to be tired. And they were tired. And I came in all full of enthusiasm, boy. We were going to change the world. We we're going to win the city for Christ and everything. And this old fellow took me aside one day. I'm about my second or third Sunday. And he said this, best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my life. He said, Preacher, I'd make sure you're settled in your saddle before you go spurring your horse. <laughs> now, what was he saying to me? He was saying, You got to know your people. You got to know your people. Great leaders understand nothing is more personal than leadership, and they engage accordingly. The best leaders understand a failure to engage in is, is, is in fact a failure to lead. Leaders who remain aloof will never know their people. And you can't lead unless you really know your people. Um, I believe Jesus modeled this type of leadership. He chose 12 to invest his life in. They were simple men. They didn't come from the schools and colleges. 
They were not drawn from the religious leaders or aristocracy. They were neither learned nor wealthy. They were ordinary people. They were common people who responded to an uncommon call. A call to follow Jesus and he would make them fishers of men. Is it was as if Jesus said to them, give me 12 ordinary men and with them, if they will give themselves to me, I will change the world. Now look around you today. Look at the person next to you. You're here today because of those Jesus chose to change the world. Just one last thought. A leader will inspire others to a great purpose and mission. Uh, a few Sundays ago, uh, Tim Stearman down at First Church told the story of a Peanuts cartoon and it was a baseball game. Charlie Brown, Lucy, and Schrader all were sitting on a bench waiting their turn to bat. Charlie yells, we need a hit, we need a hit. And Lucy says, hey manager, what do you give me if I hit a home run? Schroeder pipes in, a home run? You'll never hit the ball out of the infield in your life. Lucy answers, if I hit a home run, will you give me a kiss? Schroeder answers, if you hit a home run, I'll meet you at home plate and give you the biggest kiss you've ever had. In the last scene, Charlie Brown and Lioness are bounced off the bench as Lucy jumps to her feet, her bat raised in the air, and yells, INCENTIVE! You see, we need to be inspired to a great purpose and mission. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. I had a dream, a daydream the other day that, that uh, after going home from work, I turned on the television and the anchor on the evening news began the report by looking into the camera with a big smile on their face and saying, good evening ladies and gentlemen, now for the good news. had a similar daydream of going to church and the pastor approached the sermon with a smile on their face and says, welcome friends, now for the good news. You see, bad news will stir people up. You want to cause, you want to get people to rally around you, tell them bad news. Good news will inspire them. Jesus began his public ministry by announcing that the time has come for good news. The kingdom of God is near. You see folks, the gospel is good news. The very best news ever to come to the hearing of humankind because it contains the message of forgiveness, restoration, and new life in Christ Jesus. It was this message of truth, hope, peace, and salvation that inspired
require these men to lay down their occupations, leave their homes and families, and follow Jesus. Jesus called his followers not to a comfortable ease, not to a lethargic inactivity. He called them to a task in which they would have to spend themselves and in the end die for his sake and for the sake of their fellow men. And it was this great purpose. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And I will make you fishers of men. And they gave their lives to that cause. Um, I heard one of our general superintendents speak this, uh, this, well I heard all of them speak this summer. I can't remember, I think it was Jess Mittendorf, that told how many martyrs we've had in the Church of the Nazarene in the last quadrennium. And he told the story of, of how the gospel is spreading in the Muslim areas of Africa. It's, it's astounding what God is doing there. You'll never hear that on TV. You'll never hear good news. Never on TV. They'll throw you a bone every now and then. Some feel-good story. But most of the time it's about wars, rumors of wars, hate. I don't like this. I dislike this. I, 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 get, I don't know about you. I just get so tired of it. That nobody is right. You can't believe anybody. Who, who, which side is the right side? What is going on? Who knows? So while we're all fussing about this stuff, in other parts of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is spreading like a wildfire. And I know for a fact that the general superintendents received a videotape of a Nazarene pastor in one of those areas beheaded. They showed the video of him being beheaded with the threat, we'll continue to do this as long as you keep coming. So they kind of withdraw and go into a shell. Is that what they do? Absolutely not. Their feeling is that when my blood hits the ground, there will be many that will rise up and take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, as leaders, as Jesus led, we got to know, we got to know when the moment is right and we must be decisive. As leaders, we need to know our people. You need to know the people. Know the people you work with. Do you know them? Do you know about their life? Do you take a moment sometime and just ask them a few questions? How you doing? You know, what's going on in your life? You know, it, we, we, we can't get so busy that we fail to be engaged and involved in each other's lives. Now, we don't want to spend three hours telling our life story. But we need to know each other. And we need to know our students, the ones that come in. And it's very, very difficult. 
This is the most difficult task that I have found on, on well, that's not true. It is a difficult task to know our students because you only see them briefly. Briefly. And quite frankly, I like to call them by name. And I forget their name. I just can't remember like I used to. We need to know the people we work with, both here as, as with each other and, and our students. Know them. And, and one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that we have to be cautious of, even online, is that we have opportunities to know these people. Know who they are. Know what's going on in their life. And then give yourself to a great cause. Give yourself to a great cause. I, I think of this college and why God raised it up. And, 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 and I know some of you who have been around here for years. I, I can't imagine. It's kind of like being a pastor of a church and having a church of five or six hundred and, and then watching it just kind of drop off down to 120 or something people. And as I know that has to play on on your mind a little bit, and and we we might even be tempted to be so discouraged that we think the mission is not being fulfilled. Well, that's just not true. It's not true. The mission is being fulfilled in ways that we never were able to do it. We're we're training more people for ministry than perhaps ever before. In fact, in fact, uh, the iPads report that I looked at last year, I just tried to measure to see how we're doing for the church in the U.S. And so I took all of the majors. We have eight liberal arts universities and then us that, that, that do undergraduate work in the U.S. And I took them all. And I saw what their graduates, those who had finished a program at their college, and us. And then I looked at which of these disciplines would be tracking toward pastoral ministry. So I took out Christian education, youth ministry. Not that that's, that's, not that that's important, but I want to see who's tracking toward pastoral ministry to be the lead pastor of a church. And when I put all of the numbers together, of all of those that finished a program tracking toward pastoral ministry last year in the Church of the Nazarene in the U.S., think of this, we had 43% of them. We, we have a record number of MPP students this year. And, and, and everywhere we go, we see districts saying, we're not going to be in this business anymore, and they're pushing them our way. We have a great mission, a great purpose. And I would just, I would just encourage you to be encouraged that, that God has his hand on this place, and he's calling us to fulfill that purpose. And I appreciate all that you're doing, the work that you're doing, uh, just giving yourself totally to it to make this happen. And without you, listen, without you, it wouldn't get done. Gone are the days that we can just open the doors and think they'll just flood in. 
They have too many options. And as we give ourselves to this purpose and this great mission that God has given us, I believe with all my heart we'll see results. Not based on what we can do, but based on what God can do through us. Amen? Well, a few thoughts on leadership. I, I, there's, there, I, you know, we could talk all day about the leadership that Jesus modeled all day long. But just a few thoughts for us to consider as we um, launch into this new year. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for each person that is gathered here today. Thank you for their commitment to you and to the kingdom and to the good news. I pray that you would bless us this year as we work together in the assignment that you have blessed us with. I pray, Father, that we be attentive to, the, to your spirit and discern when it's time to move and, and the decisions we must make. I pray also, Father, that you would help us to take time to know each other. And then finally, Lord, I pray that you would help us to achieve the mission you have assigned us to, that of preparing men and women to evangelize, disciple, and minister to our world. We need it today. So bless us as we go back to our workplaces. And may, Father, we know that what we do, we do for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good news that he came to deliver. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.